Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit corin.com. Hey, this is Hannah, HRN's program manager. It's HRN's 10th anniversary and now our summer fun drive. So show your support for independent, revolutionary, entertaining food radio by becoming a monthly recurring donor. HRN is powered by a passionate community of thoughtful eaters, and we need each and every one of you to show your support so that we can keep bringing you your favorite food podcasts. It takes a village, and every dollar donated, every listener tuning in is essential to our continued success. So set up a donation for $10 every month. You'll show us that you want to be a part of a bright future for HRN. And you'll get one of our brand new limited edition Pizza Pocket t-shirts. So snag your new favorite tea and show us some love. All for the price of about two fancy lattes each month. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate today. And thank you. Welcome to Japanese. I'm your host, Aki Kotema, food writer and the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from our studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every daily supermarket, but what is, what is uh, beyond sushi? We hear dashi wa minizakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is a mystery for many people, so I try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. My guest today is Justin Potts, who has lived in Japan for the last 15 years, working on various projects to connect different communities, from rural to global, with the power of Japanese traditional food culture. And he's also a Krabito, a sake brewery worker, and the co-host of Sake and Shochu Specialized Podcast, which is exciting, uh, Sake on Air as well. So today we'll discuss how Justin got involved in Japanese culture, his fascinating activities to promote Japanese food culture and to empower different communities, his podcast about sake and shochu, and much, much more. But quickly before we start, Japan Eats is available on Heritage Radio Network website as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify and subscribe to Japan Eats. And please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Also, if you have ideas about topics of the show or show guests, please let us know. You can email us at japaneeds at heritageradionetwork.org or akikokatema.com. Now, let's start our conversation with Justin Potts. Hello, Justin. Welcome. Hey, good morning. So, um, Jamie Graves, who came here uh, yeah. two episodes ago, two, three, a couple episodes ago, uh, he very highly spoke of you. <laughs> you are an amazing person and also your incredible perfect Japanese skills and the knowledge of Japanese culture so yeah I, I, I can't really vouch for any of that I have no idea but no, J- Jamie's a great gentleman I saw I saw I just saw him yesterday <laughs> okay <laughs> um, so you're from Seattle um, but you have lived 
in Japan now for 15 years. So, and your resume says you help to develop new city to rural, rural to international projects centered around food, agriculture, travel, travel community, and uh, value creation around the traditional food and culture. So, we have so much to talk about today.、Um, so, but first of all, wha- where are you from? And、um, oh, you're, you're from Seattle, but、uh, wha- why did you go to Japan in the first, first place? Yeah, so originally, so I grew up、uh, just outside of Seattle and I went to. Uh, university at Washington State University over in Eastern Washington, over by Idaho, over there. And、uh, at the time, honestly, I had no particular interest or reason to go to Japan, but I got the travel, I kind of caught the travel bug and I just wanted to travel.、Mm. That was it. And I wanted to study abroad and pretty much anywhere was okay.、Um, but I was <laughs> really, really late in applying and, and I went and said, I want to go somewhere. And they told me, Justin, you're too late. You can't go anywhere. I said, Come on, there's got to be some place. They said, We might be able to send you to this place in Osaka. I said, Osaka, I think I've heard of it. I'll take it.、Mm. Sign me up. And that was it. And so I had about four months in Osaka. And I assumed I would never come back. I,、yeah. I, I, would, I would be there for three, four months and I would come home and that would be the end of it. And 15 years later and a bit of back and forth and my whole life kind of ended up there. That's the, the, the short. Version. Version, yeah. <laughs> oh, it sounds familiar. That's like me spending a couple、yeah. months in New York, but that's、yeah. what happened. So, wow. So,、uh, well, thank you for late application. Yeah. And,、uh, yeah, Japan got this huge benefit out of it. So,、um, and I heard also that you had some digestive issues and Japanese culture、yeah. helped you. Yeah, unexpectedly. That was sort of an interesting、um, discovery in my spending time in Japan. And so, growing up from about elementary school all the way through university, I just had a lot of sort of digestive、uh, intestinal problems and things like that. And I would be hospitalized. Pretty much once a year、um, for, one re- for something. And every time they'd run all kinds of tests and all these things on me, and nobody could really tell me what it was. I mean, it was just incredibly painful and just really, really terrible.、Um, and I just I had kind of come to terms with, well, this is something I'm just going to have to live with or deal with.、Um, and, but then as a result of that, and sort of in my early mid 20s, I started. Using my body as sort of my own test subject under different types of <laughs> putting it under stress tests of different types of diets and things like that.、Um, and nothing really clicked. And I, mean, I went extreme vegan, I went, you know, meat protein、mm. heavy diets. I went, I tried just all kinds of different things.、Um, but then going to Japan and spending three, four months and just committing myself to eating quote unquote Japanese food for lack of a way in,、mm. in, in loose terms. I realized I just felt a heck of a lot better. And I didn't know why, but、huh. I was feeling just generally a whole lot better day in and day out.、Um, and I said, gosh, there's got to be something to this.、Hmm. Um, and so that was sort of the, the first step into、um, uh, sort of generating interest in sort of what is it in this Japanese food and Japanese well, cuisine、I'm, that might be. Yeah, I'm sure that a lot of listeners are like, what is it? What's、yeah. the thing at the core of、uh, yeah. it? It's a secret, magic.、Yeah. Um, and、uh, honestly, I don't know what it is. I haven't, I haven't gone in and de- gotten the actual numbers or done the, you know, the, you know, tested my body under, you know,、um, in, in science, on any sort of scientific、um, level or anything.、Um, mm. But the one thing that I started realizing where I started feeling exceptionally better、um, was when I started、um, spending more time in rural parts of Japan, spending more time with farmers,、um, and getting more acquainted with a lot of fermented foods、mm. um, miso, soy sauce, vinegars. Um, koji and koji related、um, products and things of that nature.、Um, and those things just became more integrated into my、mm. diet、um, naturally. And that was at that point, when, I started, when that started becoming more part of my life, I realized 
I started feeling exceptionally better. So I was going, wow. Mm. I, I, I can't I can't prove that this is you know the the root cause or anything, but um, that is um, that that is one discovery that has sort right. of resonated with me. So that when your microbiome converted in three months, this kind of sounds like a wide time frame, right? The three yeah. months, people say. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, and so, yeah, originally when I was, I mean, when I was first in Japan, I was in Osaka and around Kansai, I was traveling and I was young, I was a college student, so I can't say I was eating proper food by any <laughs> means. So the, the term Japanese cuisine or Japanese food is in, in very loose terms, you know, right. all, all you can eat yakiniku and things like that right. were on the list, you know. Um, but yeah, there's a BQ gourmet. Right? Yeah, like, exactly. There can be junky stuff to exactly. something very pure, purified exactly. version. And also I think rice is gluten-free, which may be a big it part is. of it. It is, that could be a part of it. And I've sort of explored that a little bit and experimented a bit with taking gluten in and out of my diet and it's, it's tough because some things seem to aggravate me more than others, while at the same time, sometimes I have no problem whatsoever. So it's, I, I don't think that's it necessarily. Mm. So, it's, But I, I'm all for rice. Rice, right. is, rice and I, we get along pretty well. So, mm. <laughs> so this should be, a, really, maybe you can just another episode all about your diet. Yeah, we can we can yeah. do that another day. I can, I'll, I can do a blog post or something. Right. Well, I really thought <laughs> what just happened, uh, we've been just talking about a lot of koji stuff yeah. lately. And... Um, I really think it's a big part of the health effect on Japanese people absolutely. living the longest, the second longest yeah, in the world. So. Absolutely. I think, and that's that was kind of one of the things that really got me into food and wanted to dedicate my time and my energy to um, the fermentation food culture in Japan. Right. And, and things. That was not just the discovery of fermented foods, but koji-related mm-hmm. things specifically. Mm-hmm. It's because when I was going around and visiting all these producers of just amazing, amazing products um, that are, of course, delicious mm. and, and taste wonderful, but also, I don't there's... When you taste something that resonates with your body in mm. a very real, positive way, it's not just something on the palate. It's something where... You know, you can tell from the inside. You, mm. It really, it really resonates. You go, "Wow, I'm. This is putting me in a good place. There's something really proper mm. about this." And when I started, you know, digging into that, going, "What is, what is the through line with all these things?" Um, and yes, it was fermentation, but it was also koji. Mm. And I'm looking at it, it was like, "Why is nobody talking about this? Where does this?" It was kind of before about ten years ago or so. There was kind of a big shio koji and kind of amazake, mm. you know, explosion in Japan where you started seeing. Uh, more awareness around some of those things but even at the time even in japanese you could hop on google and search and you just couldn't find a lot of good information mm. I was like, how is it that everybody has you know a, mm. you know miso and soy sauce and all these things in their cabinet you know in their you know and e- even you know overseas you know a lot of people have them whether or not they use them or fully understand them is mm. you know a different is a different conversation but they're there that's you know it's something that um people have familiarity with right. and Koji is tied to all these things, and how is it that nobody's even mm. talking about this? Well, that's so. the thing. Like, if you take it for granted, you don't even question. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it's just pro- that's exactly my case. And yeah. I keep hearing like, how do you make sake? And I was like, yeah. explaining koji, like, mm, what is yeah. it? So yeah, and uh, you know, well, I was gonna ask you this question yeah. at, at the end, but do you have koji? workshops that you got yeah so that's something where i'm kind of working on right now putting together i've done some of that i do a bit of that here and there um just in relation to sort of sake and fermented foods and things like that um 
And so I do do Koji-related things occasionally. Um, I'm working on putting something together called uh, Koji Academia mm. um, together with a friend of mine. His name's uh, Nakaji. And he was a brewer at um, a place called Terada Honke out in Chiba, which they're kind of like the... I don't know for people into wine, they're kind of like the radicon of like the sake world mm. there with, you know, regards to natural processes and things like that. And he was there for about nine years or so. Um, and then he is a big Koji instructor. Um, he's very focused on giving people the know-how and the skills to integrate it into their lives, mm. um, to be able to use it and work with it. And so we're working on putting kind of a program together um, that is um, educational as well as entertaining uh, and then also providing Koji specific or Koji centric um, programs and tours, um, kind of seasonally, um, mm. for, for people that are interested, that are um, regionally based, that okay. are sort of integrated into the mm. um, local regions, um, so that people when they come out they can. So the if I wanted to participate, yeah, is for the public. It can yeah, be anybody. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so we're still kind of putting the pieces together. There, there's a website up that's incredibly vague um, with pretty pictures, um, but yeah, you can send us a um, if you look on the Koji Academia. Um, uh, with a K and you can uh, okay. yeah, yeah if you just google that you can write on the contact form and it will mm. it will reach us and, we'll, and we can let you know what's yeah. going on but yeah I, I happen to get uh, Koji spores okay. in a package yeah. I'm afraid to even open it because I don't know what to do with it <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah maybe I will ask yeah, you yeah <laughs> absolutely absolutely and then pretty soon there will be some, some videos and stuff um, mm. coming we're kind of working on putting that together we, we originally we were wanting to do a big sort of kind of an online school type of a program mm -hmm. which is what um, Nakaji who I'm working with what he already does in Japan okay he has an online school there for Japanese um, mm. um, and hundreds of members and people that are taking part in that um, but so then we're trying to figure out how we can translate that to an international uh, audience. So, okay. Well, it's there's a demand. I, I know that. I think so. Right. So, so. so Nanakaji-san uh, actually is trying to re-educate or re-inspire Japanese people to learn about Koji? Yep, exactly. Mm. Exactly. And, and he, did, works in the, he worked in sake for a long time, but he works with Koji of all types and varieties and making miso and it, creating Koji at home for specific purposes mm. so giving people the know-how and the confidence to be able to work with it um, and make the things that they want to make that are mm. useful and meaningful for them and so kind of taking all the all, all that scary stuff you know right. <laughs> you know they say i have this packet of spores and i don't know mm. <laughs> you know what's going to happen if i open this you know right. it's 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 not scary stuff so how do we make that approachable and then irrespective of where it is you live what sort of tools can you use and then for people who are having trouble mm. um you know doing it at home sort of being able to um, assist with troubleshooting and things like that right. and, and so yeah so he's been doing that in japan um quite a bit and we travel together and do some things and so yeah we're trying to figure out what we can do just the two of us oh, um wow. at least for the time being um for um mm. the international right. market and people who well, are maybe interested you guys in that can so come back together and that's, talk that's, about that. that's what we're working on so there's <laughs> a, there, if, if all goes well we'll be back this way um in this autumn um, really for something so yeah so, so right. if there's any interest, yeah, send, send us a message. We're, we're happy to do, um, to okay. do some workshops or some fun oh, stuff. Oh, let's yeah. discuss it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So um, the other thing you're doing um, uh, is, of course, the, you are uh, the Krabito. Yeah. But actually, before you get there, well, you, you, you went to college in Osaka, undergraduated, you started working, right? You did a little bunch of different things in the media. And yeah, I did a lot of different things. I was working, I worked in education for a while. I worked in like media localization and um, a lot of it, at that time it was like um, exporting stuff for the U.S. market. So it was a lot of like 
video games, anime, things of that nature. Mm. Um, and then I worked in sort of PR marketing for a lot of like uh, like international IT companies trying to get into Japan and just did a lot of different things um, before I got into food and food related. Mm. So how did it happen? Um, so my... My now wife would be the short answer. Um, <laughs> That's a good answer. <laughs> yeah.、Um, as, as with most things, yeah, she kind of yeah, inspired pretty much everything.、Um, and so her family、um, ran a small、um, udon、mm. shop and bento shop、mm. um, where she grew up、um, in Kanagawa. But her dad is from Miyazaki, her mother is from Aomori, so the two the distant ends of, of the island, yeah. <laughs> Um, and so when we started dating, and the things that she was cooking at home, she wasn't cooking you know, the Japanese food that you'd go out and get at the local izakaya. It was stuff that you know, her mom cooked or her dad cooked. And she grew up in the kitchen and working and doing all this.、Mm. And all the things I was tasting were amazing. And I'm like, <laughs> why isn't this stuff on the menu? This is way better. I, I feel stupid going out and paying you know,、mm. you know, $20, $30 for meals in izakaya when this actually tastes a whole heck of a lot better. <laughs>、um, and so that was sort of the original.、Um, Impetus, I guess you could say, or for my renewed interest in Japanese food.、Um, then it also sort of worked out that so her cousin is actually he's a very visionary, talented gentleman by the name of Hima Furuta.、Mm. Um, and he does a lot of really amazing work、um, in the realm of sort of what we're talking about and sort of developing new business、mm. um, together, in, a lot of it around food and a lot around agriculture、um, and connecting. Um, producers and the people with local resources together、mm. with the tools、um, and the know how in Tokyo、mm. um, as well as internationally. And so I ended up going、um, to work for him.、Mm. Um, and he opened a restaurant, it was probably about 10 years ago,、um, a place called Rapungi Noen, which translates to Rapungi Farm.、Mm. Um, and it was sort of one of the pioneering sort of farm to table restaurants in Tokyo.、Um, well, Rapungi is really the middle part and the、yeah. center of the whole. Exactly.、Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, for those who don't have sort of the point of reference for that, it's farm and Rapungi do not go together when you right, try to put those、like、two things together. Exactly. <laughs> it's a complete oxymoron. You can't even imagine how these things could coexist, but there was like a little like greenhouse out there and these things. And we would bring not just farmers, but sake brewers or fishermen and all these people who were using their food in the menu to the、yeah. restaurant. And they would stand up and talk and present their food, their ingredients. And we would do one day menus、mm. um, together with、um, the chef. And, So, all of a sudden, as I was working for him and his company,、um, doing a lot of、um, sort of planning and development work、mm. and project work and education, I was also waiting tables at the restaurant in the evenings and all these things. And so I was having to learn about all of these、mm. ingredients and all these. And so I was meeting all the farmers and all of the producers. And I was in the position all of a sudden where I had to communicate what makes this food or these ingredients or these things special.、Right. Well, but, but the Hima san, the.、Yeah. He was motivated initially by maybe he had a contact with great farmers or just. Yeah, well, so he grew up and he was born in Nupungi as well, too, which is, which is again,、wow. not very good. So, so, yeah, his, his whole world was, was Tokyo, was, you know,、mm. Nupungi and these things. And so,、um, and yeah, and just it was, he started to get very much inspired in, in doing that.、Um, he got, he was very much inspired by.、Um, Those regional areas and the people out there. And so,、um, and there's just, there were so many things happening、um, internationally or starting to happen internationally around food and sort of food awareness and things that just hadn't quite picked up in Japan yet or weren't in a very, in a place or in a space that was interesting and entertaining and easily digestible. And so,、mm. yeah, Rapungi、um, Noen sort of became、um, sort of 
a physical space that was sort of an extension of the other work that he was already mm. doing. Um, and so, yeah, when I was in there um, working with him on a lot of those projects, um, I was, um, I was again, I was waiting tables and I was having to learn from all these, <laughs> you know, um, producers about mm. what they're making and how that's tied to the region, all these things. And it's a given that I don't didn't know about those things. I'm, you know, I'm this um, young, you know, blonde white guy running around, you know, in <laughs> right. this, in this restaurant having to talk about why, why is this, you know, crab from Fukui so special or why is this, you know, mm. or whatever, why is these, this squid from this place so wonderful or, and I realized that, and this sounds weird saying it, but that a lot of Japanese people didn't know anything about the food they were eating. Mm. Um, when I, when I was in the position of having to share and communicate that and everything I was bringing to it was like, wow, I've never seen this, or wow, I've never had this. Oh, I've heard of this, but I didn't know what this was. Or mm. I, didn't, I was like, wow, all of this stuff that is just absolutely amazing and delicious and makes me feel wonderful is completely lost on a lot of the population here. And, mm. and that was a population that was coming to a place like Topungi to come and dine and spend money right. to do that. And it was, there are so many things to be done. Right. <laughs> and so it was kind of, I, I was, I was feeling that every single day. It was very, very apparent. And so, mm. um, the number of things that could be done or should be done, all of a sudden you just start seeing all these things. Right. Um, and so that was sort of my, that's what kind of really then got me into mm. it. And got me. Well, I, that's interesting you say that because I think, uh, I think majority of the modern population in the Western world, including where East Asian and Japan, but it's like developed countries, Supermarket yeah. is the only yep. entrance to food, yep. and then absolutely. you don't touch anything other than packaged ones. Yeah, absolutely. So, and yeah. also, Japan is highly regional. It is. Right? It's very regional. But even if you go and visit now, you don't you don't <clears throat> notice that if you just go and you just get off a local train. Whether you got off the train at Niigata or Fukuoka or Nagoya, if you just stepped off the train and looked around, they all look the same. Mm. You know, if, if just in and around the station. So, right. if it's, it's just a casual visitor, you're not going to encounter that. You mm -hmm. have to take that extra step you have to have some means of having somebody to be able to introduce you to mm. what's really available out there and that just really wasn't integrated and hasn't been integrated into the type of um travel and experiences and exploration mm. that sort of the japanese tourism market and things like that um catered to and so there's just all this stuff that was just being lost on on right. so many people and so yeah it's interesting so i happened to go to um, um sushi dinner by uh, the chef Watanabe-san from Terusushi. Okay. And he, he had some dinner here. And uh, akauni, like yeah. red sea urchin. Yeah. I didn't, I never tasted it. Yeah. It's like uh, so smooth and slick and it's so dense. Yeah. And uh, you don't need to, you know, use any chemicals to treat it because it's less uh, liquidy. Yeah. And I was like, oh, how did I not taste this yeah. one? Yeah. It's like those things really hidden. Yep. in Japanese food culture and that's the beauty of visiting local areas and a lot of people ask me you know are you going to go back to the states or do you have plans to go home or go anywhere else I'm not against going anywhere else I'm completely open to it um, but like I said there's so many things left to be discovered mm. and to be shared <laughs> right. and so every day I'm every day I learn something new mm. every day everywhere I'm going somebody is showing me something or opening my eyes to something that I never would have encountered or I would mm. never had the opportunity to see or experience or learn about. And so just the stimuli in that sort of environment is just so fantastic. And so if I could get that somewhere else, I'm open to it, but mm. gosh, it's, it sure is, 
it, it's 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 not too bad out there. Right, yeah, too busy <laughs> yeah, <laughs> discovering everything. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, all those inputs that you have probably. I would say top five percent of the whole people living in Japan. You probably know more than anybody else. And how do you, you know, you've done a lot of things. We're going to discuss more about those things. But what's your intention to express? Do you want to write a book or do videos or like, you know, how do you, how do you, you yeah. do co- uh, try to connect communities, right? Yeah. So what's your um, medium to do that? So it's I was kick myself for not having started a blog like 15 years ago because mm. if I had if I had been more on more on the ball and done it back then I, <laughs> I probably would have had a pretty a pretty nice um platform of you mm. know uh, information that would that would be very helpful to probably a lot of people but um sadly I didn't do that um that's in your that's, head though <laughs> yeah it's, it's in there it's in there somewhere um I mean with regards so I did I did some video series and things in the past I'm looking into writing some books i've had some offers for things in mm. that area that's not the focus of my work i'm more interested in um helping sort of develop the projects and putting together how can i put the people who are making it incredible things together with the people who can help them communicate the mm. value and the nature uh, and what makes that so special and so that it can reach the people mm. that really need it and that are really looking for it and right. so um it'll turn into sort of a long conversation i guess but it's yeah i mean up until especially over the last you know six or seven years um has been in a lot of sort of work connecting people who are working in local food and local agriculture local tourism a lot of it around food and local gastronomy together with um networks of people in Tokyo mm. um, who have the skill sets and the know-how, whether it be marketing or IT or finance or these other things um, that have the passion and the energy and the resources mm. to go and invest in a rural community that they can be a part of. Mm. Um, and so um, one of the, um, if I get into it real deep, it'll turn a long conversation, but it's called, a project called the Morning University of Maranochi. Yeah, I was just um, going to ask you about yeah, that. Yeah, and that's essentially what that was. Um, so for those who don't know, Maranochi is kind of like the Wall Street area of mm. Tokyo, I guess. Um, nobody lives there. There are no residents there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have some of the most, um, you know, just intelligent, dedicated, you know, mm. passionate people who are very hardworking and have lots of resources Mm. to make a whole lot happen so you have you know thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people all congregating in this in this area right around tokyo station every Mm. single day um but they're not communicating with one another and that seemed like a wasted opportunity Mm. um so then together with um uh, mitsubishi uh, real estate they wanted to help sort of figure out how to develop Mm. new value in that area and bring Mm. those human resources together. Okay. Exactly. Um, And so we started using, um, in the morning hours, before anything was open and running, started using cafes and showrooms and, you know, office buildings that are, you know, offices um, that weren't being used during those times and basically turned the entire area Mm. into a campus. And then a lot of the programs and classes that were a part of that were centered around um, sort of rural development um, and travel and food and agriculture and things like that. Mm. So it was there were these long-term programs where we're bringing together um, people from specific regions together with groups of 30, 40 individuals mm. that all had an interest or a passion in learning more about that region or that specific topic um, and who wanted to invest their time and energy in that. So you get 40 people with 
and these are the type of people who would wake up and be to mm, get to Tokyo at, at seven o'clock in the morning, you know, before going to work. Well, maybe and, getting avoided you know, by Russia or two. And that was and that was the initial <laughs> things, right? That's what everybody wants to avoid. So mm. that was that was the the initial sort of um, that was a big plus there. But it was. Um, and yeah, it just ended up being incredible because you would get these amazing, just talented, passionate groups of people together mm. that over a period of three or four months would travel back and forth to these different regions and right. learn more about the people and what they're doing and working on. And and then when the, even when those classes were over, they would come up with projects and ideas that would then continue mm. um, for years and years and years. Um, and they would just gradually build up these communities. Nice. Um, and so it was, yeah, that was... A, yeah, and I, I saw the, on the website, it's uh, it started in uh, 2009 in yeah. Tennessee now. It's yeah. still going strong, yeah. and uh, already uh, I think eighteen thousand people graduated. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and keep going. Still, like new program. The programs are really interesting too, from arts to, um, of course, like you know, like local community um, products, everything. Yeah. So it's beyond. It's almost the opposite of what you're exposed to during the Malnoj area during yeah, the day. Exactly, right. exactly, and that, again, that contrast is really. It was what really I think draw drew a lot of people to it, and it was mm. and it was really, and those people that are you know in their thirties and forties and fifties now that have been you've been working, they've sort of developed some, they've developed their career, and they want to invest more in something else. They want another community outside of you know mm. work and um, these other places. And so it was just a really, and when you have a class like, um, you know, rural f- food development Niigata or something mm. like that, mm. the people who gathered together around that specific topic mm. it's just an amazing just fascinating group of people uh, and so just yeah a lot of really neat things happen um, mm. and happen so 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 you as a person you're part of the organizers it's a group who's really coordinate the programs and yeah and so yeah so the company that i work for it's called um umari that i worked for before that i worked with um hima Mm. Um, and so that was they were the original designers and producers for mm. that um, for that project. And so we were, yeah, as far as planning and operation, developing programs and mm. um, planning and organizing all that stuff. And so yeah, I was in there, yeah, organizing different programs and setting that up and mm. all that fun stuff. Right, so, yeah. that's exciting. <laughs> still, you still involved? Um, not so much right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I sort of escaped the city. Oh. <laughs> um, out, um, as, as much as Tokyo is a wonderful place um, mm. I spent so much time in so many places that were not Tokyo and every time I was coming home to Tokyo I kept asking myself why did I why did, am I coming back here <laughs> mm. I mean Tokyo's great but it was um, yeah the, uh, the the countryside just had a whole lot more to offer as far as just sort of what I was looking for it was just a lot more fulfilling and so about uh, close to four years ago now we sort of escaped out to the peninsula right. just east of just Chiba. east of Tokyo out in Chiba yeah. but Chiba is uh, fairly close right it's like it an is. hour yeah for better or for worse I can be in Tokyo in 60 minutes mm. you know I can be in Maranochi in about 60 minutes if I have to right um, for better or for worse right. <laughs> but yeah we're, we're at it's all it's all beaches and rice fields so mm, right and you're a friend of uh, Everett yeah uh, yep. Brown yeah who yeah, came yeah, on yeah. the show and talked about his activities oh he did oh right? wonderful wonderful yeah I worked with Everett on a number of things mm. yeah so but he also does uh, like a agri tourism yep yeah to I'll promote do. local Japanese culture yep very much so very mm. much so yeah they have a wonderful place it's called a Browns Field um, mm. out there in Chiba where they've it's yeah agritourism and just oh it's it's beautiful it's right. beautiful yeah if anybody has a chance to go out there I highly right. and I highly he's an artist it. and he's a yeah photographer successful. he does fantastic fantastic work so mm. yeah you can look you can look um, Everett Brown up too if you're looking for right. some 
um, amazing photos of Japan. Mm, in, in Chiba people. is a cool place. Chiba's great. <laughs> Chiba's great. Again, for better or worse, it's close to Tokyo,、mm-hmm. but it's the nice thing is that because there are so many people that over the last probably 15, 20 years have sort of made the shift out there who don't have to be in Tokyo every single day.、Mm. Well, let's take a quick break here then.、Uh, so when we come back, we'll talk about、uh, Justin's.、Uh, Gravito experience and sake on air. That's a special themed podcast. So please stay with us. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. The knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan Asian and American. And that is why they are located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Coin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view their exquisitely designed tableware and the wireless natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services, from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit corin.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japanese broadcasting live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Aki Kotema, and my guest today is Justin Potts, who has lived in Japan for the last 15 years, working on various projects to connect different communities from rural to global with the power of Japanese traditional food culture. So,、um, so let's talk about your experiences, Kravito.、Uh, okay. Right? So, you, worked,、uh, you have worked、um, many years in the season at the Kadoizumi, Sake、uh, Brewery in yeah, Chiba? Yeah, Kadoizumi for about three seasons. Okay.、Um, i s also not a super long time. But、mm. um, yeah, about three full on seasons, yeah, living in and yeah, so, doing that. And、uh, is it related to another Koji inspired thing? Was it which、um, came first? So, Koji was sort of the thing that inspired me originally.、Um, and then, sort of examining what is the best means to communicate not just Koji, but the fermented foods and sort of all the things I was experiencing.、Mm. Sake kind of became. I was like, this is the ultimate tool for、mm. creating enjoyable, diverse experiences、mm. and sharing that with people. So, of course, yes, it's delicious. It's wonderful. I like it. But it's、um, together with sake, you can integrate it into so many different things. And there were so many things that just weren't be done in, done in the world of sake.、Mm. If you look at other beverages and spirits and things like that, the different types of collaborations and events and you know, promotions and all the different things that people are doing, just none of it is happening in the world of sake. And there's so much diversity out there in it that just wasn't, that people just didn't know about and、mm. people didn't have the opportunity to experience. And so,、um, yeah, I sort of I had the chance to, I was lucky enough to、um, meet a, several producers who were、um, making sake that was not only Incredible,、um, but was sort of in line with sort of philosophies that weren't necessarily the, the ones that were coming to the forefront. And they were、mm. making really incredible, delicious sake that just didn't fit within the paradigm of what a lot of the education and things like that were. And、uh, so、for me, it was a lot of this sake that wasn't quote unquote typical, for lack of a better word, was the type of stuff that would really resonate with、mm. the international audience.、Um, And Kiruizmi being one of them. And 
when I was trying stuff, I was like, why? There's so many, there's just so many missed opportunities. Um, and so I started, I just wanted to get more involved in sake and started going out and visiting a lot more producers um, mm. as sort of an extension of the work I was already doing. Um, and the more I learned, the more I studied, the more people I talked to, it was bas- I just kind of got to the point where I started spending a whole lot of time talking about sake mm. um, and started realizing that there was only so much I could understand and communicate if I was only gathering information mm. from people. Um, and the best way to go about actually um, really being able to offer um, the type of information that um, not just consumers needed, but I think the brewers um, mm. needed was to actually go in and get my hands get my hands dirty and go and do that. Um, and so, and I spent about a year uh, in Milan doing work um, around Japanese food and cuisine and um, Japanese food culture, doing you know cooking classes and um, helping organize cooking classes and events and a lot of sake events and things like that. And so mm. I was talking about I was back in 2015 when they had the uh, the expo going mm. on there. Um, and so uh, we're working with a lot of restaurants and, and bars and things like that in the region. And, that must um, be really fun. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work. But right. I was, yeah, I was doing sake events, a couple of, at least two or three events pretty much every week for close to a year. And so mm. after doing that for a year, it was just kind of like, I okay, I, I need to step back from talking about it. And I just got to go in and mm. dive in. And so um, I had the, when I came back to... Um, Japan after that it was just sort of the timing was good as if mm-hmm. I was going to get out of Tokyo it was kind of it was a, it was a nice sort of cutoff point where it's instead of returning to Tokyo it could go somewhere else mm. um, and <clears throat> I, the other reason I wanted to get involved with sake production is a lot of the especially a lot of the smaller producers um, mm. that I was visiting um, and that were really inspiring to me um, a lot of them how should I say? They don't necessarily. They're 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 not in a very healthy business state. I guess you could mm-hmm. say um, it's it's no. I'm, I mean, you've had a lot of sake people on the show. It's probably no secret to a lot of the listeners that it's not the healthiest industry. Mm, I mean, um, as the, the industry itself by <laughs> nature is healthy, but the profitability. Yeah, the, exactly. Right. So exactly. The, um, and so, business concern is not ongoing business exactly. concern. Yeah, and sort of the communication and sort of what needs to be done. Um, and so a lot of these smaller producers, they just don't have the resources um, and the opportunities to go out and learn and understand about what what could be done potentially. And so if I was going to go in and learn, work and make sake, I didn't want to just know how to make sake for the skill of knowing how to do it. Mm. Um, I wanted to be in a position where I could um, be making sake, but also understand sort of the inner workings of the challenges, the challenges that those breweries are facing mm. um, on a business level, on an operational level, on a communication level. So what is it like to have to be, you know, in a team of four or five people making sake from, you know, 5, 6 a.m. until, you know, 6, 7 p.m. Mm. every day, seven days a week. Um, and then for, you know, five, six months straight and then having to also figure out, okay, how are we going to survive at the right. same time? How are we going to, what product are we going to make? Who are we going to make it for? And all these things. And so it was easy for me from the outside mm. as an outsider for a long time saying, hey, you should do this or you should do that. Um, it's easy as an outsider to do that <laughs> once you're on the inside mm. um, and you actually have um, experience and you can sort of experience the challenges that those people are up against right. um, and sort of, uh, and all that. I wanted by going on the inside, 
hopefully my goal is to then be able to say, be able to step back and say, you know, what if you were to do something like this or something like this or something like this, and then maybe we could make a party like this or do something like mm. this for these people. Or what if you did something together with, you know, this other place locally or... Um, what if we did something with these other restaurants here in the area or, you know, to make those proposals is one thing, but then mm. to also then be able to step back and say, I understand why that's challenging mm. and I see how busy you are here and here and here, but then be able to offer proposals that are more mm. concrete. Is it, so you are doing that now, but what if we were to shift it around so that, you know, we had somebody, you know, doing this at this time. And what if we didn't invest so much time and energy in doing mm. this? And we had more, you know, you're able to make much more concrete right. um, yeah, if we, if suggestions. Yeah, if you're too busy, you can't even think of reorganizing yep. to make it because you're so occupied. Yeah, mm. absolutely. And a lot of the small producers now, they're what they refer to as like Kuramoto Toji. And so they're, mm. they're responsible for the production. Um, of the sake, which means they're also responsible for the people mm. um, and the management of the people um, and training and cultivating um, the people that are working there and making the sake. At the same time, they're responsible for running a small business that mm. may have been going for 100, 200, 300 years, right. you know, um, that is in most cases not in the best state financially. Mm. Um, and have, they've never been in the position of having to communicate their product and actually go out and sell their product. Right. Um, and so that is a whole lot to ask of any individual, especially under the circumstances under which a lot of the brewing is happening. And so mm. hopefully by getting in and getting involved to be able to then be able to offer more useful proposals for mm. the brewer that I was working with, with Kido Izumi, but then as well as with um, other brewers as well too. So that's why, so I work now with, I mean, I work freelance, I guess you could say, with a lot of different um, areas and a lot of different breweries. So Kido mm. Izumi is sort of my local brewery and that's where I was for, several years um, and so I still pop in and help out um, mm. occasionally here and there well that's interesting though that it's such a traditional like it's known for natural fermentation it's really um, uh, established in a way traditional brewery to accept uh, non-Japanese looking person <laughs> yeah. because yeah, yeah. You, inside I think you're more Japanese than else in a way but uh, so that's the thing right so because the industry is kind of um yeah, go ahead. Sorry, <laughs> Drink sorry. water. I, 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 I'm listening. Okay. I'm listening. I'm just sipping some um, some delicious water here. Yeah. So basically, oh. your industry is declining. You need help, and the, the foreign market is the driving force of sake industry. So that's why someone like you um, are becoming like lifesaver in a way. Oh, that's, I, I, I don't. Yeah, I mean, how how much help I've been able to be is, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's hard to, mm. <laughs> it's hard to read that. But I mean, you know, uh, you know, a long time ago when it was, you know, Edo in Tokyo, you know, dictated very much mm. the type of sake that was being made in other regions because that's where the population was, that's where the market was. Nowadays, the market is, it's not in Japan. Mm. I mean, it's still very much dictated by Tokyo right now because that's the only place you can get a real reasonable price for the, mm. you know, for the. Um, level of quality product that's being made um but the next edo is going to be you know it's going to be overseas because that's mm. where the, the next market is and so whether or not you have to make something to cater to that market that's a whole nother right. you know um conversation and there's a lot of ways to look at that and think about that mm. um but keeping that in mind is going to be you know crucial for you know the essential for the, the survival of a lot of these, right. the breweries that are out there and I heard you also developed sake tourism uh, programs yeah. in collaboration with uh, Japan Sake and Shochi Brewers Association. Yeah. So that means that that's another opportunity for sake brewers to expand their financial exactly. support and 
kind of cash flow in a way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so a lot of, and so that's sort of why I try to keep myself um, outside of, I try to, I try to keep from being 100% sake mm. because I don't think that the sake industry is in a position to solve all of its problems mm. or to help it. So it has, you have to be able to have a hand in sort of other types of industry and mm. um, um, networks and things like that. And so, um, to, and tourism is an amazing avenue for that mm. because even though you're talking about sake and sake tourism, it's not just about sake. It's about the food it's about mm. the people it's about the environment it's about all the experiences that you can have they can tie they can tie people to that um you're not going to get a whole lot of people to travel out to the middle of nowhere to have a glass of sake mm. but you can absolutely get people to make the trek out to the middle of nowhere mm. to be in a beautiful place and meet wonderful people and have a fantastic experience mm. for a day or two or these other things that's the type of thing that you can get people excited really right. excited about and and sake and sake breweries um, can be a really, really um, powerful catalyst, I think, mm. for that, um, as far as a tool for that. And it's really, and it's easy to communicate. Um, right. It's something that is universal. People people can envision mm. what a beautiful dinner in the countryside or a walk right. out in nature and a picnic somewhere in the foothills of the mountains with some sake or something. Mm. You know, the idea of gathering around food and beverage and these things, that's something that's universal right. and that people can get excited about. And mm. so then how can you utilize the, the not just the sake, but the other local resources, um, mm. whether it be food, whether it be nature, um, um, and other types of experiences right. um, that integrate sake, um, mm. and so well, in fact, it's it's a part of um, the community, local community, and the culture. It's just a piece of it, and uh, exactly. you have the whole story through sake. But there are other chapters in the local community. Sake is a big yeah. one, but yep, exactly. Yeah. And that's the other thing. I, I really ask me what I love about sake and it, the nice thing is it's really kind of a microcosm mm. of everything in Japan yeah. <laughs> when you really start distilling it down it connects to everything and you can you know there you can draw lines and make parallels to just about all the things that people have an interest in whether whether it's food or whether it's um, religion or zen or these other different things there's there's parallels and there's a, a relationship to sake in some capacity somewhere mm. um and so um you can it can be integrated into anything right. you know mm. or you can just take it to a dance party that's cool too you know you can, right. you can just be really simple you know <laughs> you right. can, it can run the spectrum from these really deep you know rich cultural experiences to just creating a good time mm. you know and so it's very versatile like that right. um, so. yeah and i think uh, the stories are very important to communicate yeah. And even if, you know, it's it's food is subjective, food items, whatever goes to your mouth, it's very subjective. But if you need a story to tell, because it's so beautiful yeah. and so inspiring, I think that's the value yeah. that you want to carry. And I think people appreciate it, too. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and that's what's really so exciting and so rewarding mm -hmm. is that to be able to be in a position to be working directly with the people who are making something mm. as well as the people who are going to appreciate it most generally with a lot of the work I'm doing, there's nothing in between. I'm generally the only person or the only you know entity in the middle of those things. So to mm. be able to see firsthand day in and day out, how what this person is creating is resonating with, you mm. know, um, the people that are really looking for that is just, that's, that's just, it just feels too good. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, yeah. But you, you place yourself. <laughs> 
<laughs> in that lucky position. So it's amazing. Yeah, it just worked out. I yeah. <laughs> and so let's step further. That's the Sake on Air. Mm. That's an amazing podcast. Thank you. Yeah. We're still figuring it out, but it's, uh, yeah. Well, I'm a big fan. Thank so you. let's you, talk you. about it. Okay. What is Sake on Air? So Sake on Air is a biweekly podcast. Um, and it is supported by the um, Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association. That's really the um, kind of integrative yeah. uh, organization. Yep. Yeah. Sake sort of a, yeah. The sort of a central agency that does a lot of the support for um, breweries and distilleries all around Japan. Um, and basically, so I, it's something I've been talking about doing for a number of years, actually. Hmm. Um, because I just had been somebody who was taking in podcasts, especially while I was in Japan, just because I didn't have a lot of access to interesting conversations in English just in, in my day-to-day life. And mm-hmm. so I was soaking up a lot of information. And I started looking at all the communities around different types of podcasts. And there was so many people who were so passionate about these really specific topics. Mm-hmm. And there was so much interesting you know, conversation being generated um, around all these different shows. And I was there's no reason there shouldn't be something about this on sake. And I, so I started looking, there was, there's endless, you know, shows on wine. There's endless shows on mm. food and culinary, on beverage, all these different things. There was nothing on sake. And that seemed like a shame. And so, um, for a number of years, I was just telling everybody, I was going, I'm going to do, a, I'm going to do a podcast on sake. Mm. Who, who's with me? And everybody was like, what podcast? Cause podcast isn't really a big thing in Japan. It's hard to, Not it's, yet, kind of a, right? it's kind of a hard sell <laughs> to, to a lot of Japanese because they can't, they can't really envision what it is or what that mm. format is and who's listening to it and through what channels. Yeah, it's funny, right? Cause you can, uh, do almost pretty much everything with your phone, smartphone yeah. in Japan, but there's yeah. a, what, what is podcast? Yeah. It's so yeah. ancient. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of the ones that are available there, they're just sort of like rehashed versions of Japanese mm. radio and things like that. And so, um, and I was talking, there's a, who's done all kinds of amazing work to support us, Mr. Shuso Imada. Mm. Um, he works for um, JSS, the um, uh, makers, the Sake Makers Association. So that's um, a studio, right? Location in Toronto, Mon, in Tokyo. So yeah, so they have a space. It's basically a. They just rebuilt it a couple years ago, and so the, their offices are upstairs. But then in the first floor, they have a big, um, basically just a tasting room, mm. um, and they gather. They um, cycle through different, you know, sake um, lists constantly, and there's always about a hundred things mm. on hand that you can just walk in any day of the week. Um, weekdays um, and go in and try a whole lot of sakes wow. for very, 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 very reasonable prices. And there's all kinds of information. If you have you know questions about wanting to go visit different places around Japan or mm. learn more about sake or whatever, they can provide you with those information. So they already had that there. Um, and so we just kind of did our own makeshift studio. We just started, we rounded up a whole bunch of equipment um, and just started, yeah, after hours, just turning that into our, mm. into our studio space. And so um, we're still kind of DIY a little bit at the moment. We're still figuring out the, the production stuff as we go. Cause we were all, it's all, we're pretty much all sake people. We're not necessarily all radio people. So we're still mm. kind of learning a bit as we go, but right. it's, um, so yeah. you, you are the, uh, uh, co one with the co-host yeah. and then, uh, actually Christopher Piglini. Yeah. Shochu expert. Yeah. He came here. Yeah. He talked about this yeah, yeah, yeah. Shochu passion and everything. Yeah. So it's like you have a very strong staff uh, host. Yeah. And so one thing we really wanted to do is, I mean, there's a lot of, there are so many wonderful, talented people doing amazing work in the world of sake all, mm. all around the world, mm. um, whether it be the US or Europe or Asia or wherever. Um, just, um, and lots of, fantastic sources of information um, and education Mm. um, are out there and available. Um, But there's still 
hardly any information about what's happening in Japan.、Mm. Um, and there aren't a lot of channels that provide the context for that.、Um, and just in general, people's relationship with food and beverage and things like that now, people want to know why.、Um, I don't think you necessarily have to dumb things down so much.、Mm. Um, and, and you don't have to super simplify everything. You can, you can entrust. You can trust people to be able to make decisions and judgments about、mm. things by providing them you know, information and background and context. And so the idea was so the people you know, on the show together with、uh, John Gauntner's The Sake Guy,、mm. uh, Mr. Christopher Hughes, he's a、um, WSET educator.、Um, we got a couple of gentlemen,、um, um, Sebastian Demont,、um, a French gentleman who does amazing work in sake.、Mm. Um, we've, got, we've got a couple of new、um, hosts now.、Um, Rebecca Wilson Lai,、um, she does incredible work with、um, sake. She's been doing it for many years for movies.、Mm. She's in a movie that's coming out, Kampai 2, is coming out here pretty soon.、Okay. Um, uh, Marie Nagata, she worked brewing in New Zealand for a while.、Mm. Um, just, we've got this amazing group of people who have access to pretty much everybody in Japan.、Mm. And so we are in a position to、mm. get the information and answer the questions that people have.、Mm. So as opposed to us, Playing, being in a, a, a sort of a position of authority of here's the way it is,、mm. instead of saying sake is this, it's this, it's this, it's this, here's the definition for this and this, taking the time to sit down for an hour and say, so look, here's, what, here's the way this is being presented,、mm. here's what you commonly see, but you know what? This is out there too, this is out there too,、mm. there are exceptions to this and this, why does that exist? And just sort of provide context.、Right. And the idea is how can we empower the people who are. Outside of Japan,、mm. to get the information that they need that resonates with, with them or their clients、right. or the people that they're you know, educating to or、mm. serving to,、um, so that when they are coming to Japan looking for、mm. new things or for new ideas, they can go, So I heard about this thing.、Mm. You know,、right. you know, and so, it's the actual trend that who's only Uh, that can be known only insiders who live、yeah. in Japan. Yeah. It's plenty in、yeah. the, each episode. It's like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. I、yeah. wish I knew that earlier,、yeah. that kind of thing, every single episode.、Oh, And、you. I like that、like, sometimes you guys get a little nerdy, which we, I love. We do occasionally. <laughs> we, do. I said, we try to keep it. Pretty digestible, but every now and then we kind of、yeah. go down a bit of a rabbit hole. Yes,、yeah, so、it's for everybody, for beginners to like, if you really want to, it's like nitty gritty thing,、no. oh, you get it too. Yeah, so, thank you. But where can we listen to Sake on Air? Yeah, so we're actually we're just rebuilding the website because when we got it started, it was kind of like, okay, we got to get this thing started. So it's pretty much just looks like a blog post from like the late 90s right now, so it's kind of <laughs> embarrassing. But we're rebuilding the website right now, so you can look at Sake. Just Google, if you just Google Sake on air,、mm. um, it'll come up up top.、Um, you can listen to it online. It's also on you know Stitcher, Spotify,、um, Apple, Apple,、right. yeah, Apple Podcasts,、um, Google Podcasts.、Mm. Pretty much, whatever, if you're listening to podcasts on something, it's probably on there.、Yep. So,、mm-hmm. yeah, I'm a subscriber. Thank you.、So. Thank you. Yeah, I really, I really highly recommend. I think、uh, that's really precious, and I hope you're going to keep doing a long time. That's the plan. So, and ideally, we want to make it a resource for people because even the older content is still relevant to people, I feel like.、Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 100 episodes down the road, you know, episode 10, I think, is still going to be interesting and relevant. Right, and right. hopefully, it'll just be a pool, just a vast res-、um, collection of. Information and resources for people who、mm. want to learn more and to have the context to be able to 
get ex- help them get excited about sake right. or further their excitement about sake. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, we're we've got a few plans in place. Like I said, we got a, we brought a couple more regular hosts on. Um, we're sort of rebuilding the website. Um, we're planning some um, events in Tokyo. Um, there and sort of some community oriented mm. funding things in the near future so yeah if you want to keep an eye out we should have some announcements here in the next hopefully month or so, so okay so listeners yeah. it's sake on there yeah, yeah. and so we discussed main activities that you worked on but um to summarize what is a mission you know uh, to <laughs> I so my life is all in Japan now, mm. um, and I'm in the very fortunate position to be able to have access to some of the arguably some of the best food and ingredients in the world, um, and the community of people who are um, creating that. Mm. Um, the no, the number of people who are making those things are diminishing rapidly. Mm. Um, if those people go away, uh, and that knowledge goes away, uh, everyone is going to suffer. <laughs> I mean, mm. I mean, there's, there's a lot to be lost. Right. I mean, for those who don't know, like the average age of a lot of farmers in Japan right now is like the early seventies, mm. you know, um, I think it's, it's way up there. <laughs> right. Um, you know, and a lot of the people who are making a lot of these traditional foods and things like that, it's a generation that is not going to be around a whole lot longer mm. and there is not and taking that food and that knowledge and passing that on to the next generation there is not a there are not at least currently in Japan there aren't a lot of feasible platforms that can sustain mm. people's livelihoods um, to be able to work and, and continue to do that if we can't create that I'm going to suffer. I'm not going to be able to, get, you know, get, right. and I, I've got, I have two, you know, daughters at home and it's, I want to be able to, mm. you know, raise my children in right. an environment with the type of food that um, has given so much to me and my mm-hmm. life and everybody around me. And right. it's, it truly is possible that, you know, they're young now, but 10, 15 years from now, they just won't have access to those things. They just mm. won't exist. And so, um, of course for my children, but then for, you know, a lot of other right. families in this younger generation that they will have the opportunity to mm. be able to integrate that into their lives because if it goes away, it's hard to get it back. Right. I so. really appreciate your hard work. No, really do, we're so. just figuring it out every day. As we go, so. <laughs> right. Well, that's a good sign, right? Because you keep discovering probably more than, you know, a majority of Japanese people. So yeah, we rely on you. So. I'll, I'll, I'll do what I can. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, where can we find you, your updates online? My updates? Um, I mean, yeah, you can look on, I said, I don't update all my social media all that often, but if you look, you know, Sake on Air, um, at Sake on Air on everything. Um, my, what is my Instagram? Is um, Crew Jones, C R U underscore Jones uh, underscore 33. Um, if anybody gets the reference to that, I'll, I'll send you a prize. Um, <laughs> otherwise, yeah, um, um, Potske Productions, um, P O T T S um, hyphen uh, uh, K, um, and then Productions um, is the small 
family business that I sort of run with my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, there aren't a lot of updates there, but there's more information kind of about what we're doing and sort of the, um, the, the philosophy behind that. And then there's, you know, social media channels and stuff for that as well, too. So, yeah, if you poke around, we're out there. Okay, yeah. great. <laughs> All right, so listeners, if you have any questions or comments or, you know, what Justin is doing, uh, you can just uh, send us email and japanese at, at heritageradionetwork.org or kikwatem.com and if you're interested in taking uh, koji classes in japan yeah. that's available too so yeah. right all right so thank you for joining us today justin okay cool. thank you so much well, hopefully you'll come back <laughs> i i me too me too it's been a long time since i've been in new york i gotta make this more frequent yeah so. <laughs> <laughs> why not <laughs> all right so uh, listeners uh, japanese is live at 3 3 p.m on mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. Engineers, uh, Matt Patterson, and thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.